Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Illusional Reality, written by Karina Gantis and narrated by Rena Gale. Ticinia, a magical world on the brink of destruction. Nobody expects to stare death in the face, only to find out your entire life is a lie. Rescued by Salco, marketing executive Becky finds herself in an unknown magical world filled with happy people that try to forget the threat that looms over them. Becky will soon learn none of this was an accident, and the Council of Ticinia are certain her union with Darthorn's son, Kovon, will create peace. And although her future has been planned out, she gives her heart to another. And now, for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Illusional Reality. The Channelings Preparations were underway for Thaya's arrival. They had been expecting her since the writing of the first oracle long ago. Omad, the head of the council, made sure everyone knew of her coming, for it was his task to prepare his people for the arrival of their princess. He'd left strict instructions that no one witnessed the arrival or approach until he had conversed with her himself. It was his duty to inform Thaya who she was and of her destiny. He felt anxious and nervous, but not for himself. Ticinia was his home, but to an outsider, a human, it might seem like a mystical, dreamlike place. How was he to make her understand? Would she listen? And, most importantly, would she believe him? Too much was at stake. He could not fail. The fate of Ticinia lay in his hands. Omad stretched and rubbed the back of his neck as he pondered over his revised speech. Would it be too much for her to take in? He nodded his head, feeling happy with his decision to inform her of her true identity. Telling her about the prophecy could wait. He didn't relish that task. Omad looked around the gold-leaf-covered throne room. Soon she would take her rightful place among her people, and they would once again have a ruler, removing the burden from the Ticinian council. He clenched his trembling, clammy hands. He had been preparing for this moment since being appointed head long ago. His election had been a cause for celebration, the start of planned preparations to bring their queen home. The council comprised of twelve elected Ticinians, those held in the highest regard. The head of the council was seated centrally in a semicircle of chairs, his seat raised so there could be no doubt of who was in charge. Ticinian business was held in the Escos, on the border of their land. Meetings were not open, and only by appointment could citizens address the council. Omad sighed, remembering the feast held in his honour, the one time he had felt truly scared. The nomination was in recognition of his work, yet to be chosen for a task with repercussions that could destroy Ticinia's existence was something he wished hadn't been entrusted to him. There was much excitement and discussion about how Thyre would become the saviour of them all, how her return would cause the warlord's demise. The Decinians lived by the words of the oracle, and although there was no indication of how Thyre would save Decinia from Darthorn's domination, the people felt as though their troubles were over. They were so confident that for the first time in the history of their great land, an oracle was ignored. Omad shivered as he recalled Athron confronting the council with the latest reading. Were they wrong to ignore the warning? 
The oracles were written upon ancient scrolls. It was a riddle that only a zenith could interpret, for it was they who wrote them. The generations of zeniths were male, who were born with the gift of sight. Omad remembered being awoken from his sleep by a very anxious Athron. He demanded the council assemble at once, and, as a zenith and valued Tessinian, Omad took the urgency seriously. I would not have removed you from your slumber if I did not consider this to be of consequence, Athron announced when the council had convened. Continue, Omad said. The oracle proclaims a warning. Omad, suddenly wide awake, frowned. Good, Athron, decipher. Athron nodded and unrolled the scroll. Not all will come to pass, and though the Saviour will return, she will not be delivered. The council whispered among themselves. Rephrase, Omad said. Our lady will return, but she will not be who you expect. The matrimony will not be entered upon. There is no alliance. For it is written, so it will be. Nonsense, Tezark retorted. Tis ludicrous. The alliance is established. All that is required is our lady's sign. And what if she does not sign? Athron said. Omad rose from his seat. There was silence. I sympathise with your anxiety, Athron. We all are concerned with our future. Nonetheless, as our good friend Tezark remarked, the alliance will proceed. As for our lady not receiving us, tis her duty as Princess of Tessinia to aid her kinsman. I am confident that once she returns, all will be well. Do not distress. Omad then reseated. Athron continued. I pray you are accurate. The fact is, the oracles have never been unjust. Do not shut your eyes to the truth. Athron had spoken out of turn, and Omad had to show strength in front of his peers. He stood abruptly from his seat. "'Tis proper you have brought this to our attention. You will retire,' he ordered. Only Athron did not turn to leave. "'You sight only what you want. Free your eyes!' "'Silence!' Omad growled. The council gasped. "'Dare you judge me. I will not justify myself to you.' He then lowered his voice. "'Athron, I hold you in the highest esteem. Be assured.' We will review the oracle and rule on the correct outcome. Depart. Now. Athron left, yet Omad knew he would not let it rest. He learnt of Athron's visits to Nimas, the wise one, who also agreed that the reader of oracles had misinterpreted. Twice more Athron had visited Omad, begging for him to be taken seriously. Now, as Omad waited for his princess's arrival, he regretted treating Athron disrespectfully. Should he have taken heed? Only it did not make sense. If the Decennian's alliance with the Sanks did not result in peace, what was Thyre's calling? The Sanks had been enemies with the Tessinians for centuries. The current warlord, Darthorn, was the worst Sanks to ever rule the land. Controlling his kinsmen with dark magic, his strength and power seemed to grow every moon. We won't be able to resist much longer. Our final hope is the return of our long-lost princess, heir of Tessinia. Athron's late father, Gaynard, was the zenith who received the vision that told that she would return to her land and save Tessinia from its impending doom. The oracle never specified how she was to liberate Tessinia, 
so the council took it upon themselves to come up with a solution. They decided she would make an alliance with the Sanks, then patted themselves on the back for coming up with such an easy resolution. Darthorn had readily agreed to the alliance after adding one special condition. But what if Athron was just? What if she did not sign the treaty? Could there be another way from which Thyre could deliver them? Omad's thoughts were interrupted when Zark entered the Eskos. It has begun, Zark said excitedly. Omad hurried to the portal's entrance. He hoped he was correct in sending Salko. It was a simple enough task. All Salko had to do was contact and persuade her to return with him. How hard could that be? As he waited, perspiration trickled down his face. The bright light of the orb appeared. Omad glanced around, ensuring no one else was close by. His heart raced. He'd never felt so nervous. A shadow appeared through the light, but he could only make out one shape. Where was she? Had Salko failed in his mission? Then, through the mist, Salko appeared, carrying the seemingly lifeless body of their princess. Omad gasped. What has occurred? It was not in my control. This cannot be. How could you permit this to transpire? Omad walked to Salko, every step heavy. He felt drained, as if there was no hope left. She has breath, Salko told him. Those three glorious words brought Omad back. Then hope remains. Val can hold an understanding of what can be done. Hastily, they left for the Torah, Valkan's dwelling. Inform me on what occurred. Declare all, Omad commanded as they hurried. Tis not my failing, Omad. I swear, there were sanks upon earth ahead of my arrival. They possessed weapons. I had naught to defend us, and I was not informed of their coming. I was not aware of a threat. I appreciate this, Sarko. I am concerned, though. How did the sanks discover our plans? Is there an informer among us? No, no, there cannot be. He paused. You are not to converse on this. Understood? Tis, Omad, and I pray to the Chenlings that she will survive. I would bestow my existence if it would benefit the princess. Omad deemed it wrong to comfort Salko. He had failed in his mission, whatever the reason. Nonetheless, Omad would have to answer for Salko's mistake. He took the princess from Salko's arms. Depart at once to the council. Relate to them on what has occurred. Stay silent about the informer, and... Salko, bestow hope upon them. It will be done. Falcon was just sitting down to eat when Omad burst through the door. For a moment, he was stunned by the sudden appearance of his friend, more so when he saw the pale human in his arms. Falcon noted how tired and haggard Omad looked. He stood abruptly, rushing towards him, and he took Thaya and carried her to his healing room. Leave me, Valkan ordered. Omad left, but not before giving instructions for Valkan to notify him if there was news. The only way Omad could help Thaya now was to pray to the Chanlings. Pray that Valkan would find the strength to save her. Valkan healed with the use of his gift and needed solitude to concentrate. He did not allow anyone to observe him at work. He'd never seen damage to a human before, but Thaya wasn't human. She was Bora. He didn't know if it was in his power to save her. 
Nonetheless, he closed his eyes, placed his hands over her womb, and began the healing process. Omad needed time to meditate and ask for guidance, so he headed for the plecky. How could he have allowed this to happen? After entering the building, he knelt before the five small monoliths known as the Chanlins. They stood upon a square pillar and were arranged in a circle. A bright light radiated from within. It pulsed like a heartbeat, and, in a sense, that was what it was, the heart of Ticinia. Each sacred stone represented one of the elements, earth, fire, water, air, and spirit, the essences of Ticinia's survival. It was said the stones contained power, and as long as the Ticinians possessed the Chanlings, they would continue to possess their very special gifts. And paying homage to the Chanlings, they believed that in return, the Chanlings would protect their land. They were treated as an icon, and though the Chanlings never answered, the Ticinians never stopped praying. He stared at the stones as he knelt in silent prayer. Was his eyesight playing a trick on him? It seemed the light within the stones was softening, fading even. Omad could not believe he was witnessing the worst of omens for Ticinia. It filled him with terror to think the blessed light could extinguish before his eyes. He sat stunned. What was making the light fade? Could it be related to Thaya's arrival? To her lack of well-being? The only conclusion he could come up with was that her soul was somehow connected to the stones. If that were possible, then she was indeed an exceptional Ticinian. Alas, it also meant that Thaya's internal power was fading. Omad squeezed his eyes shut, begging the Chanlings to save her. He opened his eyes and gazed intently at the stones, hoping that one word uttered from his heart would strengthen the light. He also prayed that Valken would have the power to revive her. Was his gift enough? Hearing footsteps heading towards him, he turned and stood to meet Salko. After learning of Omad's theory, he watched Salko fall to his knees and his face pale. Surely Darthorn could not win so easily. Alas, the light still flickers, and it seems likely that our hope and saviour will lose her breath. Falcon had done what he could, using all his knowledge and skill. In fact, he had worked on Thaya for such a long time that he felt completely drained of energy. His legs felt shaky, and he leaned against the stone wall to keep from falling. If he were to help her any further, he would have to get his own strength back. He required food, and left the room in search of something to eat. Darthorn's messengers had returned from Earth and were telling their master about the strange land and what had occurred. You are confident that she was damaged, Faldor? Tis assured, master. How badly could not be sighted. Parser comprehends those primitive weapons better than I. And you state the humans were also targeting Thyre? Darthorn inquired. Tis so, master. Though I sighted not weapons, they are hostile people. Interesting, remarked Darthorn. Kovan had heard enough and entered. He walked straight up to the warlord, knelt on one knee, and kissed Darthorn's hand. I retain information from Jacar, father. Thaya has entered Tissinia, though she is gravely hurt. Tis doubtful she will survive. Jacar informs me that Valken, their healer, is with her and has been for some duration. 
Darthorn turned to his son. This is cheering to discover. So, the mission was a success. Absent of fire, I will persist in my plan to rule Tessinia. Once I possess the power of the Chanlins, naught will prevent me. Darthorn addressed his messengers. You have done well and will be rewarded. Depart. Valdor and Parsa turned to leave. Before they could leave, Kovan called out, Is she... is she everything they express? He asked. I had sight for only a brief instant, Parsa answered. She is ordinary, like the entire human race. I did not note any uniqueness. Kovan dismissed them with a wave of his hand, leaving father and son alone. Darthorn looked puzzled. You do not exhibit delight with this information. Why not? I have perceived much of this thire. He spat the word out. Tis a pity I will not cite her. I wonder, does she appear as I imagine? Tis possible you will still encounter her, if she survives. Let us hope she does not. Father, I will withdraw, for I am eager to receive further information from Jacar. He bowed before departing. Oh, I do hope she survives. I desire for my father to take control of the Chanlins and enslave the Tessinians. Oh, what sight it would be, the Princess Thyre down on her knees in front of the Lord of Sanks. Kovan never interfered with his father's battles, preferring to remain in the background. Even so, he secretly observed his father's plans with interest, knowing that one day Sanks would become his, and if by then they had conquered Tessinia, it would make him one of the most powerful warlords of all time. He had heard much about Thyre from their spy, Jacar, and especially looked forward to the other half of his father's plan, that he would remove the last obstacle from Darthorn's domination and kill Thyre himself. Why should the Sanks agree to an alliance? What was in it for them? They needed to get rid of Thyre before they could control Tessinia, and the best way to do that was to get her on their territory. Only, why was he thinking so far ahead when it looked doubtful they would ever meet? Jacar had told Kovan about the oracle predicting there would be no alliance, thanks to his father's plan to have her killed before she learnt of her gifts or even the existence of Tessinia. Pity, he'd looked forward to making her beg for mercy. There was still a chance she would endure. Should that happen, he wanted to be prepared. Kovan, too, had a gift, one that he used only when it suited him. Not even his father knew of his talents. He discovered his power at an early age and taught himself. It worked better if they didn't suspect anything. He could have anything he wanted, when he wanted. Darthorn looked out of his window, the size of which covered one side of the great chamber. Tessinia looked so vulnerable from up there. The Sanks lived on top of a huge, dark mountain in dome-shaped dwellings coloured grey and black. Situated in the middle of them was Darthorn's magnificent abode. His dome was three times the size of the others and was covered with gold. Sanks could not be seen from Dissinia, only the monstrous black mountain it sat upon. However, from Darthorn's chamber, the whole of Dissinia could be viewed. It looked small and meek, easy to destroy which, unfortunately, wasn't true as he had found out numerous times. 
Firstly, the oracles prophesied most of his plans, so when an attack did come, his enemies were ready. With the amount of Dicinians possessing special gifts, it had so far been enough to prevent him from taking Dicinia, and together with the power of the Chenlings, he'd never gotten close. The Dark Eye was a jet-black oval crystal housed within a cavern within the warrior's domain where only a warlord could enter. Certain death was promised to anyone else who tried. Should a warlord employ the evil dark force within, he would call on it and be given the price of payment before he could make use of that power. He stood and thought, dwelling on the time he called on the dark force and sent a deadly mist upon them, one that should have wiped them out. He had been shown the delicious effects of the mist. Starting with a shortness of breath, the victim would choke. Simultaneously, their eyes and nose would bleed. After vomiting blood, they would eventually succumb to suffocation. Oh, how he wanted to witness the effects! But as always, the Tassinians were prepared. Jaycar had related to him how only one gifted Tassinian had put an end to the poisonous cloud. Unfortunately, every time Darthorn used the Dark Force, it cost him dearly in return. To receive the deadly mist, Darthorn sacrificed ten of his warriors to prove his loyalty to the Dark Side. Having no special gifts of their own, the warlords of Sanks used the Dark Eye for guidance. It spoke to them, giving advice and direction. Only in desperate circumstances would they call upon the Dark Force. For the most part, Darthorn used the Dark Eye for predictions. The Eye told him of a special Ganty who was to be born, one who would eventually destroy him. He decided to kill the child the following Trill Moon, and planned a surprise attack. As always, his plan had been prophesied, and the child was sent to a place of safety. In desperation and outrage, Darthorn had the king and queen killed, leaving Tassinia without a Ganty to rule them. Salko was the first to see the stones flicker. He tapped Omad on the shoulder to get his attention. Omad opened his eyes and saw it for himself. The channelings shone unsteadily, as if unsure what to do. Silently, Omad prayed, although Salko spoke his feelings aloud. Go on. You can do it. That is it. Slowly. Omad smiled. Salko was talking to the channelings as if they were two moons old. However, it seemed to be working. He had a difficult time stopping himself from joining in. Instead, he silently willed the stone's light to grow. The glow strengthened, and the channelings were as bright, if not brighter, than ever before. In delight, the Dicinians stood and hugged each other. Once composed, Omad left the Plecky and hurried towards the Torah, and hoped Steyr had recovered, as he was certain she had. Salko ran quietly behind. Falcon unintentionally fell asleep. He woke a while later, and after fully regenerating his energy, he felt stronger than before. It took a few moments before the memory of Thyre flooded back. Even before he reached her, he knew she was going to live. As soon as he walked into the room, he noticed her rosy, glossy skin. She had full red lips, and her cheekbones were more defined. However, what stood out the most was her long, silver hair, that was notoriously associated with a ganty. She was Tassinian, there was no doubt about it. Kneeling beside her, he positioned his hands an inch above her chest. He smiled, satisfied with his work. 
She was sleeping peacefully, and her skin looked radiant and healthy. He couldn't help but stare at his beautiful princess, and a tear rolled down his cheek. He felt proud he had the skill and power within him to heal her. Only, was this delicate flower really their saviour? He had just sat down when he heard a frantic knocking on his door. Enter, Valkon said. Salko and Omad stared at him. Our lady is well? Omad inquired. She is well and resting. Grant, Grant praise to, to the, the Chandlings, Salko and Omad chorused. Salko, go to the council and inform them on our lady's well-being. Advise them I will appear shortly. Salko bowed and then departed. To what extent will our lady slumber? Tis difficult to sense. At this moment she is weak and requires relaxation. I grasp this. Nonetheless, I am compelled to converse with her as soon as I am able. I am aware of the urgency, Omad. However, I do not recommend this. She is not in a state to receive you. It would be unsafe to agitate her. I am confident you are just, Falcon. Swear to me the instant she wakes, send word. Not one is to converse with her prior to me. Your command is understood, Omad. I will dispatch word without delay. Omad left the Torah in haste, knowing the council would be waiting to hear from him. He'd made a grave mistake sending Salko to retrieve the princess on his own. Omad was expected to be wise and foresee the unforeseen, after all. Becky woke from her sleep to find a sombre face looking down at her. She sat up in surprise. Her mouth hung open as she studied the strangely dressed man in front of her. The blue tunic that clung to his lean, tall build was tied around his waist with a plated grass belt. A single binding of wild grass held his long chestnut-coloured hair from his face. He had a stern appearance, with penetrating blue eyes and a short yet bushy beard. Becky assumed he was middle-aged, though not quite mature in years. Who was this strangely dressed man? And, more importantly, where was she? She recalled the stranger who had stepped in front of her in the alleyway. Remembering what had happened, she looked down to where she'd been hurt, and was surprised to find herself dressed in a green embroidered gown. Wow! She gasped. Her eyes opened wide. Becky looked wildly around the strange-shaped room. She'd never seen anything quite like it. She was dreaming. Yes, that was it. It was all a dream. The shooting, the Samaritan, what did he say his name was? Zalko? She had assumed she would wake up at any moment in her own bed. It may have started as a nightmare, but it had turned into a pleasant dream. When she turned her head to check out her surroundings, a wisp of silver hair fell on her chest. It was the first time her hair had changed colour, and she jumped off the bed to take a good look at herself in the mirror across the room. Her mouth gaped. She looked like a fairy from a midsummer's night dream. Maybe that's who she was. Titania, Queen of the Fairies. <laughs> Wonderful, she said. Suddenly remembering the strange man in the room, she finally acknowledged him. Hello, who are you? Valkon remembered Omad's words, bowed, and quickly departed without a reply. How rude, Becky mumbled. She returned her attention to the mirror, enjoying the unusual realism of the dream. 
She was eager to check out her surroundings, take in every sight and sound, savour every moment. She hoped when she awoke she would have something to help her remember this unusual dream. Valken found Omad standing in front of the counsellors. He wondered how Omad felt, being on the other side for a change. Many a time, Valken had been in that position, and he hadn't liked the feeling at all. From their raised voices, Valken sensed the meeting wasn't going too well. He coughed to gain their attention. He watched as relief washed over Omad's face. So as not to look like he was hiding in the shadows, Valken stepped into the centre of the room and nodded respectively to the councilmen. There was no need to speak to Omad, for he looked eager to leave the councilmen's scrutiny. Valken turned to follow his friend when one of the members called out to him. He walked towards the addressing star in the middle of the floor. I am your servant, as always, Valken greeted. Announce to us, Valken, what is our lady likened to? What a question to ask him. Were they asking if she could liberate Tessinia? He couldn't answer that. Was she beautiful? Certainly, there was no doubt in his mind. Only their question had many hidden meanings, and they were waiting patiently for an answer. She is a gunty. With their curiosity satisfied, they signalled for him to leave. Valkon soon caught up with Omad. Did you converse with her? Omad asked. I did not, although she is eager for dialogue. Is that so? Valkon left him at the door, knowing that he wanted to speak to her alone. Omad entered the Torah and found Thaya walking around the room looking at all the possessions. He stood patiently until she noticed his presence. Hello, she said. Becky put down the trinket and stared at him. She watched as he studied her in return. He stood up straight, took a deep breath, and then smiled at her. You remind me of someone, she said. He laughed, which made Becky smile. I am named Omad. Hello, Omad. I'm Becky. Nay, you are not, he declared. Come, I have something to convey, and you would be more comfortable being seated. That was the hard part over. All he had to do now was convince her of who she really was. He cleared his throat. You are named Thara. You are the Princess of Ticinia, sadly the last of the Gantes. You were returned to your homeland as a result of an ancient oracle that prophesied that you would deliver your kinsman from Darthorn, the warlord of Sanks. He stopped then to catch his breath. More will be clarified to you in the coming future. Omad stared, as though waiting for her reaction. She burst out laughing. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! I've always wanted to be a princess! Omad sighed in relief. So, when do I get to meet my prince? Omad frowned. How are you acquainted with Prince Kovon? Who has conversed with you? Nobody has conversed with me. She exaggerated his strange choice of words. It's obvious, isn't it? Every princess has a prince charming, but he must be handsome and a real gentleman if I am to do this right. Right? Well, yes, this is a beautiful dream. I don't want an ugly prince, do I? <laughs> she laughed. Omad gasped, and she stepped back. Thyre, tis not an illusion. You are awake. Tis not your inventiveness. Tis reality. You are required to grasp the importance of why you are returned. Your citizens await your aid. If this is... 
reality, Becky said. Then, as your princess, you can't keep me locked up in this room. I can walk out of here this very minute. If that is what you desire, you are not a felon. You are not even a guest. Tis your home. You are the rightful heir. Just the same, I suggest you dress in the proper attire, lest you chance upon your subjects. Becky looked down at the beautiful gown she was wearing. What's wrong with this? That garment is for resting. Omad chuckled. I will summon your attendant. She will be certain you are suitably attired. Deciding to play along, she waved him away. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Illusional Reality. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased from Amazon, Audible, iTunes, or wherever audiobooks are sold.